good evening, and this is the Wine of Life podcast. I'm Wes, and tonight I'm going to do a clarification on a statement made um, in another uh, episode on the triad of being. Uh, some people have uh, stated that what was said in that was um, something that was akin to saying that uh, you can be saved through baptism. And I'd like to uh, uh, clarify that, that that was not what I was saying, nor was I, um, I'd also like to clarify Maximus the Confessor's um, position. And so I read from Ambiguous 42, where we were talking about being, well-being, and um, eternal well-being. And from the 605 mark to around the 635 mark, I discussed this idea of that that second birth, which he says there are three births, and then there's the second birth. And I I made the statement around the 620 mark that when you are saved, you must be baptized. Now, this comes from the Bible, obviously from the Great Commission. Part of it is that you're supposed to teach them all I've taught you and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in the New Testament... Outside of the man who was uh, healed at the beautiful gate, every conversion um, has a baptism. We are commanded to uh, be baptized. And so I I, I don't uh, not stand with that position, but I would like to clarify um, Maximus's position with regards to uh, this second birth because this has been... Uh, stated that it could be misconstrued as some form of heresy. <laughs> so I'd like to to get that right. In uh, question six of the Athalasium, Athalasius asks him, uh, according to St. John, uh, he who is born of God does not sin because God's seed is in him and he cannot sin. That's in 1 John 3, 9. But then in John 3, 5 through 7, in his gospel, he says, and, and if he who is born of water and spirit is himself born of God, then how are we who are born of God through baptism still able to sin? This was what, what he was trying to um, ask the question of. And so the spiritual birth then is responded to by Maximus in this. He says this, the mode of our spiritual birth from God is twofold. Now, this is the birth from, from not the birth that gives us being, but the birth that gives us well-being in what he was saying in Ambiguous 42. Uh, and so this is where I did not clarify these births here. He says that the spiritual birth is twofold. This is what he means. The first bestows on those born in God the entire grace of adoption, which is entirely present in potential, which is potential, of course, is being, actualization, being well-being, and then grace being the eternal well-being of glorification. So there is a birth in God that is the grace of adoption. You are given the adoption, you are made into the sons, uh, the sons of God, according to John 1.12. The second ushers in this grace as entirely present in actuality, transforming voluntarily the entire free choice of the one being born so that it conforms to the God who gives birth. So the first possesses this grace in potential according to faith alone. So grace, now I I would like to say this is not in the same formulation as, say, Luther would have said, um, that 
by grace uh, through faith alone. Uh, because the way the East talks about salvation is uh, processional all the way through. There's a, a process going on from justification, sanctification, and glorification are all one part of an entire process, which is true in some sense, but they don't um, account for uh, forensic legal justification in the same way people in the West would. It's one of the reasons I don't agree with Eastern Orthodox um, theology. But they don't teach that. So the grace is not the se- in the sense of a gift, but is in the sense of a, a, one of God's energies or part of his power that he gives to us. And so there is one grace that we are given through faith alone, and that is the first part of the twofold mode of spiritual birth, which is the belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. The second is in addition to faith, and that comes from Second Peter 1, uh, 4, where you realize on the level of knowledge the active, most divine likeness of the God who is known in the one who knows him. In those whom the first mode of birth is observed, it happens that because the disposition of their will has not yet been fully extracted from its passionate fixations in the flesh, and because they have not been completely imbued by the Spirit with active participation in the divine mysteries that have taken place, it happens, I say, that their inclination to sin is never very far away for the simple reason that they continue to will it. For the Spirit does not give birth to a disposition of the will without the consent of that will, but to the extent that the will is willing, he transforms and divinizes it. So, there are two. There's a, the mode of the spiritual birth is twofold in that it comes by water and by spirit, according to uh, Christ in John three five through seven. So one comes by faith alone, the other comes by being baptized willingly. You choosing to be baptized, and so there is salvation, and then there is giving yourselves over to the divine will and doing according what's uh, what's according to God's will. And this accords with Scripture. So when we read um, John 6, uh, Romans 6, sorry, he this is what he has to say about baptism. He says, if I can get there, Know ye not that so many of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death, right? And now this is, the the question came up, is that if we have grace, can we continue to sin? In verse 2 he says, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us who as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even though we, even so, we should also walk in newness of life. And this is what Maximus was talking about, freedom of the will and changing the likeness that we have. This is what verse 5 says, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So baptism is the first part of being obedient to the will of God, because you were commanded to be baptized uh, if you've accepted Christ into your heart. This is what Galatians 3 says. It says, Galatians 3, I'll read 26 and 27. It says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. 
And so, again, the same thing that when you're putting on Christ, uh, it's not an aspect of uh, justification, but now an aspect in that you have to change your position ethically and that you're moving into sanctification. You willingly are giving yourself over to the new man that you are now in. And this begins at baptism. And so the beginning of the well-being was in the notion of this twofold birth, one by grace, by faith alone. The other grace is given by the free willingness to be baptized. This is what um, Peter has to say regarding what baptism is. It says, For Christ hath also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism does now also save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, the issue with what people were saying was the way that I presented it. Now, obviously, if I would have quoted something like what First Peter said, most people don't believe that baptism saves you. As it says, the like figure whereunto even baptism does also now save us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we obviously don't believe that water saves us. Or I would say that I don't believe that water saves us. And here... This states that eight souls were saved by water. We know that they were not, in fact, saved by water. What it was is that they were not washed away in the water because they were inside of the ark, and that is the point of putting on Christ, who has defeated death. We are in Christ. Therefore, Paul says, "Whoever we know whoever's been baptized are already in Christ. They have put him on so that they go through the waters of death and now come out the other side as a new person in a new creation. And so... Baptism does have um, a spiritual virtue. It is something that is, God tells us that for the Christian life it is required. Those who have accepted Christ as their Savior uh, need to be baptized. They are commanded to be baptized. There are two gifts that God has given us for the Christian life to be a part of his death and a part of his life. That is baptism and the Lord's Supper. And I I discussed this in my... um, metaphysics video but i just wanted to clear that up that you are not saved by baptism you're saved by the coming on of the holy spirit but that in fact you need to willingly give yourselves over to the lordship of christ and be obedient to his commandments willingly and that and so therefore the idea of the second birth being of well-being in maximus the confessor as he states he separates that in into a twofold manner separating one by spirit and one by water, where the first one is by spirit in terms of faith alone, you receive grace, whereas the other one is by you willingly submitting yourselves to baptism, which allows you then to cons- to live the life according to God's will. As we see, Christ did not begin his ministry because according to the Father, it was his will that he be baptized first. So before the start of Christ's ministry, he was baptized, and we are called to do the same thing. So I wanted to get that out of the way and um, and make sure that was cleared up so that people um, don't think that I was saying that people just simply can be baptized. Of course, if you listen to my metaphysics video and you listen to my the three, justification, sanctification, glorification, 
you wouldn't have got that. I don't think that you would have gotten that um, uh, that come to that conclusion or that opinion about what I was saying. But with regards to teaching about theology and theologians, I think it's important to understand the point of why I'm doing this uh, is because I want to discuss the th- the theologians who have greatly influenced me uh, in writing, writing sermons, preaching, and so on, and teaching. Uh, that doesn't mean that everything will be agreed upon, and that doesn't mean that it's necessarily heresy either. Also, when you're talking about people who wrote things in the 7th century, uh, and they have a large, massive body of work, such as Maximus the Confessor, you're going to come up against things that they talk in a different way than we would talk today. You have to remember there are a lot of things that they practice that we don't practice today, and there's a lot of things that we practice that they never even would have thought of practicing in their day. The church has changed, but there's that doesn't mean that we don't study these people. We don't um, uh, take what they had to say um, see how the church functioned at that time, and see if the wisdom of our elders have something to pass down to us now that we can possibly use. Um, for instance, my grandfather's a pastor. I would not completely dismiss him if he said something that I uh, didn't agree with or didn't quite understand. So <laughs> some people have said that they that these things are you know, we shouldn't talk about this stuff. But you have to understand, many people had different ways of how they see baptism. Still, people, many people do. It doesn't change the gospel, and it doesn't make them uh, heretics. Uh, you know, for Tertullian, for instance, um, it, you know, in, in uh, Acts 21, I think it's 21.9, uh, Ananias tells Paul, go and be baptized and wash away your sins. Uh, now, Southern Baptists probably wouldn't say that. But that's what the scripture says. And Tertullian believed, for instance, that uh, it wasn't like um, washing away the sin of, say, your nature in the sense of justification, but it washed away the sins that you had committed. So he would say, even though you'd be a Christian, don't get baptized till you're really old, till you're about to die, so that then all your sins that you committed could be um, washed away in that baptism we wouldn't teach those things, but that doesn't mean that you wouldn't study Tertullian. There are a lot of things that he said that I probably wouldn't agree with, uh, but I'm going to do a video on him too. Um, I have a lot of his works and I enjoy reading them and uh, a lot of of other things from the church fathers. I think they have a lot of things to share with us and wisdom to share with us. And I want people to get um, interested in these theologians and in the theology that they taught, the way that they talk. People in the East teach different and they talk different and they have different uh, the words mean different things to them than they do in the West now. So all of these things are interesting to me, and they've greatly influenced me, and I want them to um, influence other people so people will think about their theology, um, try and see things in different ways, try and express themselves in different ways. So that's why I want to do it. Uh, don't dismiss don't dismiss um, theologians. Don't dismiss pastors. Don't dismiss these things because... Something doesn't quite sound right to you. Investigate it. Love, seek it out. Search what they actually have to say about these matters. Um, so that's the episode for tonight. Uh, if you want to support, support's in the description below. Uh, hit the like button. Uh, you can uh, also subscribe. So uh, I'll talk to you next time. Thank you.